And we're back. Welcome back to our third installment with Moonshine. We're going through the way of the conscious creator and we're picking up today. We're going to check in. Moonshine's got some epiphanies to share with us before we dive back into the reading, which I think we, we left off at Fearful Love. But uh, first, how's it going, Moonshine? What's been happening? Uh, a lot. <laughs> I'm going to move this thing kind of close to you, too. Sure. A lot. So, just been busy. Busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Too much to go into. You said you had some epiphanies about the mantras. Or... I did. I was driving here, and um, number 15... As you know, I changed some wording around. I showed it with you last week, but um, number 15, I just love responding to my experience with sincerity and vulnerability um, rather than responding in anger and fear. And and I don't, I'll, I'll have to sit with this later after mm -hmm. I chill out because I'm still technically driving here in traffic. Um, but uh, rather than responding in anger or fear, I thought, oh no, my natural response is to react so i thought i would for myself for the mantra um substitute rather than responding with rather than reacting but also maybe look at it a little bit more closely and see you know which words would i use well the interesting thing about that mantra right there yeah. the original way that it's written in the book and the way that i gave it to you was i just love to respond with sincerity and vulnerability rather than reacting with anger. So the way that you're now changing it back to is the way it was originally written. Because what we're doing is we're distinguishing the difference between a rational response and an instinctual reaction. Because mm -hmm. when we react, that's when the adrenaline, the cortisol, and everything fires up and we change character. We get triggered. Which is me basically driving here to traffic. meet with you. <laughs> and then be all calm and serene for this recording. You don't have to be calm and serene. You could just come exactly how you are. Yeah, we're not fucking gurus sitting on a mountaintop. We're living in L.A. and it's rush hour. And yeah, just and be I'm you. native of L.A., so I think you are too, right? At this point, 31 years. But that's interesting. But what I love about what you just shared is because I love that you came in and you're like, I'm going to make this. You know, I'm going to customize it. You said, give me some thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do all this stuff. And so you kind of, you went in and you changed some things. And then you, through naturally doing the practice and just going through the thing organically over time, you went, you know what? I'm going to put react rather than respond. Rather than me telling you or the book telling you a long time ago, you were able to arrive at that epiphany. And it's much more powerful when that happens. Because it's yours. Yeah. It's not something that someone told you. Right. Which I think is beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could yeah. tell you and you could intellectualize, oh, yeah, I get it. Respond and respect. But that, that – because the, the whole point of that particular mantra is trading in instinctual reactions for conscious responses. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that missed completely is perfect and the fact that you, through your own – the laboratory of your own experience, said, you know what? This is what I think is important about this. You know what I'm right, saying? It's right. super cool. Because even in AA, you know, they say um, we pause when agitated. Mm -hmm. It took me, it took me about five years to be able to pause, and 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 that was remarkable. And so what I remember, and I shared this in meetings, and I remember this was, um, I would pause. I, I I I developed the ability to pause when agitated. But nothing that came out of me was different than had I just been reacting. So basically, I created the same wreckage 
when I paused, when I was agitated, but I did it fully knowing what was going to happen. Huh. So, like, you paused, when but then agitated. in that pause, you still move forward with the thing you would have done if you were just reacting. Yeah, because I was ruled by my passions and my emotions. Yes. And so, um, but then I was, every time I would pause and then I would respond or technically react, um, I knew exactly how it was going to play out. I knew what I wanted to say and that it was more about being right mm -hmm. than whatever the other alternative is, you know, happy or whatever they call it. Yes. So I did it anyway. So I honored myself, you know, and, and I facilitated, I created all the wreckage that I imagined I would, you know, but like I did it with clarity. So you consciously created wreckage as opposed to just, well, I honored my feelings, you know? So like, rather than speaking diplomatically, I just said what I thought and what I felt. And if I were able to take it to the next set, we pause when agitated, then I would have, if, if I were more stable, I would have been able to, okay, like I've paused. I know exactly if I say that this is what's going to happen. This is the outcome that I desire, but I wasn't ready yet to, um, to forego or, or just to let go of the, um, it was more important that I vented what was building up in me rather than get the results that I was truly after. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I paused when agitated and then I proceeded forward with full clarity and still had all the same wreckage. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was progress. Mm -hmm. And I was really pleased. Well, with prior that. to that, what would you do? What would you have done? I, I wouldn't pause. I would just, I would basically react the same way, but without thinking like this is going to play out that way, you know, like without recognizing how it would play out. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the Can same. Can you read that mantra again real quick? The whole I, thing? Just the, the, well, the two choices, because it says respond with sincerity and vulnerability as opposed to react with what? Oh, oh that's a good point. Rather than responding in anger and fear, or fear, um, and I would, would just change rather than reacting in anger or fear. Right. So we're trading in, because, and I've learned this, people have told me this, but I've learned this, and now I, I agree in that, you know, it's easier for me, to, like the being vulnerable and saying that hurt my feelings, or I don't know what I'm doing, or that you're scaring me, or any of those kind of things. It's, it's easier for me just to get angry or, or fearful or run away or create something than it is for me to be like vulnerable and sincere in that moment. Yeah. And so I'll just override that and go straight to like a secondary emotional reaction. And then just, just, just so I can protect myself. Right. Just cause I don't want to, I don't know. I do. I just not, it's not that I don't want to, I definitely have always had the desire to share in authentic and sincere conversation and relationships and connections with people, I could intellectualize that, but I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't even know what was required of me to do that. You know what I mean? I kind of intellectualize it, but all I'd ever done is just react and run away, react and run away, react and run away and go get high, react and run away and go get high. And that never changed for me until I had children because I couldn't run away. I mean, I ran away. I relapsed after like they were four years old. I got back on drugs, but it was like, really, dude, like you're really going to, it was like, you're either going to bail on these kids and your life's going to be forever different, or you're going to like learn to be vulnerable and then learn to start responding. And, and literally 
because it started with just those two little kids. They were like three or four, and I felt like I was getting overwhelmed and bullied, and I didn't know how to express myself, and I didn't know how to set boundaries, and I didn't know how to take care of myself with two little kids that were coming at me, let alone adults in a relationship where I'm trying to be an equal. And it was just interesting that through them, I mean, it started with me being like, no, and not wanting to be a people pleaser and not compensating because I had all this shame inside me and I had this self-hatred. And so I would compensate with these kids by being inauthentic or giving them what they want or not setting boundaries and not. And it was weird. Once I started, no, boom, boom, like being more providing structure for them and providing that stability and walking through the discomfort of maybe they won't like me or maybe they are going to be upset or maybe they are going to have a reaction or a temper tantrum to my truth. But I need to do that in order to stay in this relationship because otherwise I'm going to bail and then I'm going to be the guy shooting up drugs underneath the bridge because I'm going to be in so much shame and regret from bailing on the opportunity. Yeah. So it's interesting how for each of us, I think it starts somewhere. You know what I mean? Like the, the desire to even want to have more real and authentic exchanges and emotions and share, share different experiences with people than just self-protection and anger and fear. Does that make sense? I understand what you're saying. Um, one of the other things that I have noticed going through these, and mm -hmm. I've shared this with you, and I can't give you an example if you ask me for one, but I have read some <laughs> of them and I'm just like, this seems like it would be more relevant to the writer than it is for me. Yes. So, and so, um, and, and, and I told you once, uh, one came through to me and then it was quickly gone. You know, by the time I got here and told you, oh, I had a possibility mantra passed in my head. And I think that it was what my first true sponsor said, his first prayer that he came up with all by himself um, was, uh, God help me not be an asshole. Mm. And when I heard him say that, I, I just knew like, oh, this is a guy that I want to sponsor me. Um, and so... Um, uh, yeah, I, I forget where I was going with that, but as well, you were speaking, I was, um, I, I realized one of the words that I would put in, not rather than respond in anger or fear, would be rather than react in fear or defensiveness. Defensiveness. Uh, yeah. Well, and see, that's the thing. So once to, and just to reiterate from people that are home and the book's going to make this much clearer, but the way that the, the, the practice is presented and suggested in, in the mantras for recovery book is like, look, here are these generic set of mantras, do them regularly for this amount of time. And then at a certain point, you're going to, you're going to run into the same thing, but you have to do them regularly and then stick with it. And then eventually a lot of words are going to change. A lot of words are going to change and then it becomes your practice, but it starts with just this practice. Cause I can only out from a place of like spiritual responsibility. I, I went through this specific thing and had a specific result. So I can only speak on and share that specific thing. But then like, for example, cause I think you mentioned in a text, few days ago that you had kind of backed off the mantras and you weren't doing them mm -hmm. and so and we were I was like well just pray and see what you can commit to for the week I forgot to pray <laughs> and so or just see what you can commit to for the week but if you regularly do these mantras you're going to have an intuitive insight every time you're supposed to change that one word into the other word mm -hmm. and slowly over the course remember I'm four years in to get these practices. Um, so over the course of a month or two, you're going to start building in your language and making this mantra practice your own. And that's very important. Right. And so if you don't do that, then it's like, 
like you just took ownership and you're like, no, man, like I don't want to respond. I, I, I don't want to react. I want to respond. Taking ownership of this practice and moments like that and making it your own. That's what really, because that's the spiritually activating part of that. In a sense, what you're speaking about was one of the things that I had. Um, I mean, I grew up in a fundamentalist church. So we basically in that church and when I was in that group, uh, we would quote scripture, mm -hmm. right? Um but nobody lived the scripture. They just quoted it at you and they threw it at you as um, it just uh, tools of abuse, in my opinion. Mm. Or uh, if you went to McIntyre House, it mm -hmm. was a positive or a pull up, but they mostly were pulling you up. Were you there with when, 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 Ed. when with Ed? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. just had lunch with that a couple weeks ago. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, but in AA, they talk about like uh, personalizing the program, you know, making it your own. Um, but the majority of what I heard were people quoting things, Correct. quoting things. Yes. And so like, it's just basically the, their mantras that hadn't quite, uh, sunk into them and they hadn't personalized it. They hadn't merged with, in, in my opinion, yes. from my observation. They hadn't started living it and becoming it. Yeah. But yeah. they were still quoting and like, they knew it all verbatim. And like what you're talking about was one of the, in a sense, what you were just speaking of reminded me of that experience. But here you are, one of the uh, creators, co-creators of this program, and you're saying, you know, like, follow this, these bare bones, mm -hmm. and then after time, after you've been following these bare bones, and it'll start to basically, yourself will merge with it, and yep. you'll start tweaking words. Well, yeah, it'll be, you'll, you'll literally, like, what was that one example you gave? Because you're like, I would change this one word, Re reacting with fear, and what was the other thing? With uh, defensive Defensively. Yeah, defensiveness, and that's customizing it because you know you, and you know how you, you know how the fear and the anger, you know how the it's it's it, it, it's resistance, but you know how the resistance has uh, how it's um, how you've crafted resistance and articulated it and projected it and expressed it throughout your life, and only you know that. And there's that spiritual element of you that's observed you the whole time objectively that can give you really good insights and say, look, there's this pattern you have of, of being really uh, defense. What, what is it? What is defensive. it? Being defensive. And that has really limited the space of possibility for you. And you keep blending into that and you go, oh yeah, so I need to neutralize that specific survival pattern of defensiveness, me, Steve, me, Moonshine, I need to do that. And then in doing that, I'll, I'll be able to knock that pattern out and create the space necessary for another part of my authentic self to come forward. So all I'm doing is just like, here's a template. Mm -hmm. This is the one that worked for me. Like my friends that are like really close to me, they're like, something's going on. Like it's definitely like my roommate, you know, it's like they're, they're interested in it because they see where I used to have these really different reactions to everyday situations with, say, for example, my children or something. Now I'm responding in a different way and it's not any, there's nothing you can fake about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that, that that's all. And so writing that into the book, we had a editing meeting about it today. And I think there's a way to, <clears throat> we really need to encourage that and reemphasize that with people. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh. Supposed to be quiet. It's very oh, it's all good. You all, um, do you want to get into some reading? Sure. <laughs> sure. Let me see. So we were on. You just have to find it. Yeah, I'll find it too. It's fearful. Love. Boom. So it's on page thirty-nine. I'm not sure where that is at this very moment. Oh, okay. Um, I need to find my glasses. 
No, no what I did with them. Oh yeah, fearful love. There it is. There it is. Oh, you want me to start reading? Yeah, give me one sec. I just need to uh, figure out where I put my glasses real quick. And then I'd love for you to read. Oh, yeah. Found him. Cool. I heard that outside. The beeping? No, that you found him. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so let me make it a little bigger here. My eyes are so rad. All the, the years of being on stimulants and looking at screens dissociated has screwed my eyes up you know the constant looking at my the... eyes from the computer, um, like i have trouble focusing and and i usually for a few weeks can't really see things very well so i have to do a lot of this kind of yeah stuff. it's weird it makes everything like even when you're when when you're high and then you'd be looking at the 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 street lights there's a little fuzz coming off of them like when you're doing the drugs that aren't there when i'm not on drugs but it's some of it's just kind of stayed like that for me because i spent so many hours and days and years looking at those images yeah so crazy All right, anyway go for it okay. moonshine take it away careful love Small children have yet to learn about a painful love that ends in disappointment. They still have their own internal connection to a spiritual love that allows them to express themselves more freely. They are still aligned with their spiritual nature. The love that fearful, spiritually aligned, unaligned adults share is conditioned. As children begin to interact with these conditional expressions of love, they, do, they too begin to fear love. Heavy thought. Fear keeps the presence of love in the future, never to be realized, or in the past, never to be felt again. The fearful mind of an unconscious creator views love as a possession or a destination. Nothing could be further from the truth. Love, truth. love has no agenda, no goal in mind. Love is a simple gift that we seldom take the time to give our, to ourselves or receive from others. The meaning that we attach to our expressions of love shapes the sad stories that our lives so often become. With each new chapter, we place another condition on spiritual love's ability to be expressed adequately. We slow, slowly accept conditional expressions of love as being real. As this happens, it becomes increasingly difficult to cultivate authentic loving experience, experiences. Thus, our expressions of love become conditional. Uh, you go ahead. Yeah, how is that for? I mean, are you, do, you, do you have anything to expand on that? Or just kind of, you know, personalizing it, just like when we're kids and we have this connection and a lot of them, like I couldn't remember. I mean, I feel it again. Like I feel like this, it's almost like a loving, like joyous innocence that's in me that I was not, like when I was, I joke around like at Trader Joe's. I'm like, I feel younger now inside myself than I did when I was 20. Like I felt like I was 80 years old when I was in my early 20s because I was just so tormented. Yeah. And now I feel much younger and more in like I, I I don't feel that burden in that same way. But I don't know when that burden came. But that the burden of of having the weight of the world and just feeling so tormented and feeling like so you know, when I was feeling so old as such a younger person, you know, not feeling joy, joyful innocence, not feeling any of that. 
I was just feeling. In fact, that it wasn't until I really got on drugs and was able to totally disengage whatever that character or that persona or that identity was until I found drugs to disengage that and kind of shelf that and make that neutral for a little bit to put it into a dormant state. And then I could reaccess for, there was a time period there where then I could reaccess and I could feel that innocence and that youthful joy and that magic of like whatever the fuck this thing's supposed to be, but it didn't take long. It's almost like that addiction's like a virus and it learned how to then come back like then it didn't give me relief and then the drugs didn't turn that thing off that thing stayed on and used the drugs to maintain its control does that make sense Mm -hmm. and so then through this mantra practice little by little gradually gradually i've been able to turn a lot of that off and power it down and put it into sleep kind of put it to rest and now i'm feeling this feeling that maybe i was born connected to but i lost conscious contact with it when i was so young because the world you know my dad left when i was one years old you know my mom was angry she was so overwhelmed like she never you know she had a mortgage she had these two kids everything was moving so fast i felt all that i was trying to you know and so i just never had access to that well-being or that joy or that innocence until recently and that's the magic of this is like the only thing that's promised through the mantra practice is a sustained feeling of wholeness and joy and ability to be with our creator. And so I just, but I, I never knew that. I, but so that I, I didn't know that I had become estranged from my spiritual birthright. I didn't know that that was something that, it, that as a young kid until it came back, I just thought that this was how human experience was. It was just something like, it just was always bad and sucked and it was tormented. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I follow you. I think this one paragraph, maybe the last one that I read, um, the meaning that we attach to our expressions of love shapes the sad stories that our lives so often become. So with each new chapter, we place another condition on spiritual love's ability to be expressed mm-hmm. ad- adequately. What do you mean by, by each chapter? Each new failed relationship, each thing that didn't work out, each person that let us down. Here's another. It's like all these little chapters in our narrative and our story that we're stringing along. And oh, here comes another person that didn't get us and didn't understand us. Here's the line that I I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, this statement: We slowly accept conditional expressions of love as being real. I think that was a sentence that caught me mm-hmm. because I do think that conditional expressions of love are real. And not all love is unconditional. Like one of the things, uh, like I had this uh, tormenting partner, a female, um, and she would tell me that because I didn't love her in the way that I was gay, though, but I, you know, I found reason to stay in this relationship, um, that my love wasn't real because it didn't look like hers was. And, and, and technically, hers was trap you, which, you know, the, I mean, so like yeah. my love wasn't the same as hers. Um, but I always, would just like i couldn't speak against her but i it was like how can you invalidate like what i know what i have in here it may not come out the way that you would express it or the way that you do express it yeah it doesn't mean that it's not love and like and like, well and i think and i'm great i'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I speaking from the perspective of this I, <clears throat> what i interpret from this reading right here is that when we are living in spiritual alignment, when we are vibrating in that frequency of like wholeness and integration, we're not solely living 
and I call it the trauma avatar. I know you have wrestled with that a little bit, but when I am not communing with my spiritual nature, when I'm just in my human animal form and I'm fearful and I'm bracing up and I'm trying to control everything because I'm fearful and anxious, that person doesn't have the same capacity to love as the person who has opened up to that. And so that's the, con and that's a conditioned person. That person's become conditioned. I understand that fully. Um, but I, I just, I, I do feel that conditional love is love. It's just our, that is the full extent of that damaged person or that damaged Oh, absolutely. Person. Yeah. But to discount it and say that it's not love, it's mistaken. But it would be accurate to say that with, you know, as we continue to create our experiences from that place, that's that, 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 uh, it's a place of, um, uh, you're out of spiritual alignment, fearful and reactive and need fear and control. Well, what, what, to rebuild up basic here, you know, we're spiritual love and truth and instinctual fear and control. Does that make sense to you? When someone's fearful, they're obsessed with control. Yeah. And so when someone is in love, they're able to commune with truth. A person can see the truth and be okay with whatever it is if they're in love. But if they're in fear, they're gonna they're they're gonna push they they don't want anything to do with the truth. They want they want control. Right. So there's fear and control. And a person who's living in survival mode, who's living in fear and has that need for control, that person as they move through life and they create one difficulty after another and they keep attracting partners mm -hmm. with that fear and control mindset. And they keep create attracting and creating all these situations from that limited perspective. Uh, over time, they become more and more disheartened and, 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 no, and bitter and cynical. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the condition uh, yeah. love. So it doesn't mean that those expressions of love aren't valid, yeah. but they're handicapped and they're getting more and more handicapped as we move through and right, we right, continue right. to live in those patterns. I hear you. Okay. You want to keep reading? Um, how about you? Sure. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was about time to flip this tape. All right, I'll read. Um, so fear is never, oh wait, fear, where were we? Fear keeps us. Okay, fear keeps us from recognizing this fact, much like bodies on a battlefield may obscure the soldier's true cause of death. Soldiers don't mysteriously die. They are sent to their death by the destructive thoughts of their masters. The same holds true for us. Our capacity to create authentic expressions of love is doomed by our own destructive fear-driven thoughts. And that's kind of what we just talked about. Yeah. So if we're living in the survival patterns and we're fearful and obsessed with control, we're kind of doomed by that perspective and we can only create within the confines of it. Mm -hmm. And that's what these mantras do is they help us to get above those and, and, and maintain, a, maintain a vibrational field above them long enough to create something new. Because if we keep slipping back into them, we keep, it's like relapsing. We, every time we go back into our survival patterns and again and again, it's like we're relapsing. We're just picking up the bottle. We're smoking a hit. We're taking a hit. It's the same thing. So fear is never the problem. Lack of spiritual connection is always the problem. Fear is nothing more than an emotional indicator letting us know that we are no longer living in alignment with our spiritual nature. Whenever fear cuts us off from spiritual well-being, we diminish our awareness of what is truly possible. <clears throat> we need the power of spiritual abundance to create beyond the mold of our conditioning. 
So we need to be able to commune with that spiritual perspective and that wisdom and that love and that truth in order to start creating beyond the mold of what we've created. Because we've created a protective thing. We've created a, prote a protective shield around us almost. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't let much in or out. Mm -hmm. You, you want to read? Sure. I mean, I can if you want to, but I, I feel like if you, you can observe it better when you read. Oh, uh, yeah. I was also highlighting something when you... Anyway, uh, when we are in fear, we are disconnected from spiritual love. This makes us unable to fully appreciate the gift of life. This inability shows up as resistance. For example, a fear of dogs creates resistance to petting our neighbor's puppy. Similarly, our fear of people creates... Sorry about that. Our fear of people creates resistance to reaching out to a new neighbor. This resistance keep us from, keeps us from sharing in vital and necessary human experiences. As this internal resistance persists, we begin to tell ourselves that the absence of meaningful, meaningful connection we experience is happening to us. We italicize too. We are unable to recognize that it is our fearful, spiritually disconnected mind that is the cause. In this case, in this state of spiritual scarcity, mental, emotional, and physical disease manifests. This self-inflicted suffering comes not from our fear of what could be, but rather than, but rather the result of living in perpetual fear. At this point, we are lucky to be put out of our misery. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the writer is very extreme. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it is what it is, man. I'm not gonna have 20 punches. <laughs> okay. Um, however, those who are not so fortunate to carry, wait, those who are not so fortunate carry on in this state of soul twisting purgatory, an impenetrable wall of fear hijacks our capacity for love. The absence of love causes us, causes us to die incomplete and unresolved. This happens every day. Fun. But you know, as we're up against, I mean, it's like the, more about alcoholism in the book. It's like these the, the these ingrained and automatic survival patterns are progressive, and they get deeper and more automatic the older we get. And if we don't do something to intervene upon them and start to create, fill them in, and do something else, they'll just take us out and they kill everyone. You know, I can <clears> tell you what I'm really enjoying about reading this, and you know, I do have from time to time, like it takes me some time to absorb because. Again, like I said before, the lines are so rich with theories behind them, but it's only stating the hypothesis. It doesn't show the supporting material that, that led to this thought. And I don't disagree with the thoughts, but it's just like they're so rich that I would really have to contemplate. I could never read this by myself the same way we're doing here. Mm. Um, I would have to read and absorb and ponder take yes. a break, read, absorb, and ponder. But anyhow, um, I do remember uh, one of the most crotchety old timers when I was getting sober, I was asking, why do they act this way? And somebody told me, well, Steve, or Moonshine, <laughs> people don't generally get clean, they use the word sober, um, and become better people. Um, they just stop drinking. Uh, typically, people become more so themselves. You know, basically, mm. you know, that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's not, it's a rare occurrence to see real deeply rooted change in people. 
you do see the obvious and the superficial, you know, like I'm no longer drinking and blank, uh, depleting my, uh, my resources, ruining my life, the partner, mm-hmm. my partner's lives, you know, like, uh, losing jobs, but like the sweating, first, throwing up, correct, like my, yeah, my endocrine system is regulating out. My color's coming back in my cheek. I got the pink satellite. I'm physically fitter now. And now I have that's more money. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of where it goes. Like it stays at the most rudimentary level. Right. It doesn't, I don't often see a lot of deep spiritual change. Well, and that's why this is so good to do in conjunction or whatever. I mean, I recommend doing it in conjunction because the community in AA is there. It's not here yet. One day it'll be here. But this is so nice because it really gives me something solid because I get sober. Sober is my, 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 I get in the door. I get in the, get in the game by being sober. But sober is a really static goal for me. Sober is not something that's dynamic and moving forward. So, but the but recovery, the idea and defining what recovery is for me, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for who I am, and then make it helping me to make sure that I'm recovering. For me, recovering is like you know starting to live in that wholeness and joy and fulfill those needs rather than validate my shitty identity about myself. Because I spent my whole life using all my creative energy just to validate shitty ideas about myself in the world, and I wanted to be right about them, and I would make you. I would teach you how to love me. And then one day you could walk away from me. And I said, I told you I was this way. And I, and I could I feel self-indignant. Go, I, knew, I knew I was this or I knew I was that. I knew they would do this. You know, and that was a good enough for me for a long time. I think one of the other key components is the, the 11th step. Finding your higher power. And though they say, even if it is Judeo-Christian, it's up to each individual to explore their spirituality. The program is really not about that spirituality. It introduces it as a step. Yes. And, 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 but it, the goal is to take it further. But I do believe, I mean, I have my, my decade of experience of being sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, that it's really vital to get that basic thing of physical sobriety. Like I won't throw myself back into that fellowship, but I don't think that I could have made it this far without it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's vital and essential. Just a lot of people, it's not common in society to be a spiritual being. No, it's just not, you know, well, it's set up to, I mean, it's very, it, 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 the whole thing is constructed to keep the masses reacting. You know what I mean? Everything's reactive and everything's be- based on senses and senses and like advertising and all this stuff. Right. So it's constructed in such a way to entice us and keep us in that. And so it's almost like a five sensory prison. Yeah, correct. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And so we get locked in. So, and that's why this is cool for me is because the three steps in AA that I'm were the most where I would have had to take the initiative and, and, and go into the lab and really figure it out. And I wasn't able to do that. This, this, this process is all six, seven and 11. Yeah, that's what I it's was all six, seven and 11, which but are I, the three. I truly believe you can't have six, seven and 11 without having one through four. hundred percent, bro. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. 100%. Okay. All right. So we're uh, there. Let's go ahead and uh, read. Yeah, this is a little interlude because we understand that that was intense. So go ahead and read the interlude. There, There is a scene in the movie Apocalypto, never seen it, where a band of hunters are gathered around laughing and carrying on. Suddenly, one of the men sends, senses an impending threat. 
He seems to sense that danger is approaching. The other men start to sense that very same danger. Before long, two strangers appear. At first, the men ready themselves to fight. However, the elder leader gestures for the men, men to stand down. The hunters and strangers have a small exchange. Excuse me. It is revealed that they are offering fish for their safe passage. The hunters look at one another, then back to the elder, who nods approvingly for the strangers to pass through. One by one, more people appear and begin to make their way past the hunters. Amongst the passers-by, there, there are women carrying babies and elders who can barely walk. They look disheveled and traumatized. The man who made initial contact looks around and then proceeds to tell the hunters that their lands had been ravaged. The elder son appears to be deeply affected by this news. He reacts by moving forward to join the strangers. His father calls for him to be still. The son reluctantly obeys his father's command. The disheveled villagers pass and the hunters carry on with their day. As the hunters approach their own village, the elder stops his son to ask him what he saw. Initially, the son, his son does not understand. The elder responds, fear, deep rotting fear. They were infected by fear. Did you see that? Fear is a sickness. It will crawl into the soul of anyone who engages it. It has tainted your peace already. I did not raise you to see. I did not raise you to see you live in fear. Strike it from your heart. Do not bring it into our village. Hmm. Hmm. Is that a real movie? Yes. Okay. It's about the Mayans. The Mayans? Mayans. Okay. Yeah. So it's about the end of the Mayans. So the Mayans disappeared, but then the Aztecs were left with all their technology and their pyramids. Mm -hmm. And they went back. They, they actually reverted. This is an interesting thing. I forget the guy's name. It's like Kozakoto or something, but he was the main Mayan dude. And he went to the Aztecs. He said, check it out. We're bouncing. You guys don't go back to like doing your human sacrifice bullshit. We left you all this stuff. All you got to do is maintain what we've shown. You've been here for like, we've been here for 800 years or whatever, mm -hmm. but they left, they just vanished. And so he said, if you go back to doing all this bullshit on this day in the future, if you're fucking around doing your own shit, we're going to come and we're, uh, you're going to have a day of reckoning and it's going to be on the day. And so what happened was not this day, but what happened was, is on that exact day that he told the leader of the Mayans told the Aztecs on that day, if you're fucking around, watch out. Guess who landed? <laughs> Guess who landed there? I wouldn't say Columbus because that was the other coast, right? Cortez. Cortez. And Cortez, they all thought it was him reincarnate. And it was Cortez. And they, and they, Cortez just put them all out of their misery. On that day. So anyway. Okay. Um, I think that we're going to chill. Yeah, because trauma virus is crazy. And it gets in, it gets, it gets biblical. It goes into this whole thing about, um, it gets into what the floods were and what the original trauma was and how the ice age played a part and how these people from the North came into the fertile crescent and it gets into like Cain and Abel. It does this whole thing. So we're going to be switching gears. It's a really interesting story, but we'll save that for next week. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause we're really going to isolate when was, well, cause I mean, we're isolating, you know, but it's fun because you think about it. When was the moment that like, when was the moment that people stopped living out of God's hand and said, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to have incest. I'm going to eat my children. I'm going to do whatever it takes to survive. I'm not going to allow this thing to take me out. And that's when the, that's when the original sin, that's when the original self-will was born. It was will that was completely born 
independent of any kind of spiritual hand or any Did kind of spiritual. About Tower of Babel? No, just the floods. Okay. Just, just the, the floods. Flo well, just the floods in Cain and Abel. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but how Cain and Abel maybe weren't brothers, but they were two types of consciousness. One that was traumatized and one that wasn't. And how they fought it out and the traumatized ones started spreading the trauma virus after that. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Theories. Yeah. Theories. Yeah, Theories. but with with a story. So you'll yeah. have fun with it. Okay. Did you have anything you wanted to share with the, before we, we disconnected for today? No. How was it? How are you? How are you doing? Are you going to make a? Oh, Iowa, I know what. We have a couple of minutes. Did you want to just reflect for a second and be like, well, what could I do mantra-wise for the next seven days? Like, what's the goal that I can commit to myself just to do? It's interesting because we texted you and I, and uh, you suggested seven days commitment. I said I would do it. I just did the last two days. Oh, cool. Um, and but I, as I was doing it, I was thinking. Um, Oh, that guy who said he could only do three mantras every other day. day or, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was thinking about that. I was like, that's really cool. You know, like, and Asher is flexible about mm -hmm. this. And I'm thinking like, he said what he could do. Like I, I say, oh, okay, I could do that. And I thought it was going to be simple. But the truth is I'm, I'm literally getting out of two months of not working after my last relapse and, um, or outing and uh, still trying to get rid of like decades of paperwork that i've been carrying around and also i'm mean, just a lot of stuff i'm just doing so much that it's not practical at the time it wasn't practical for me to say i can do this on a daily basis well to be honest just to be like because that, that's all this is so this is for like where aa is where AA is, we're going to be, uh, the desire for sobriety is the only thing. Here it's a desire and a willingness. Because if we're not doing the mantras, we're not connecting with the energy that's going to help us undo this thing and start to... I would say I disagree with that. Well, no, no, no. I mean, having some, I, I mean you, having some degree of willingness. I'm not saying Asher's willingness. I'm not saying, but if we're not making some commitment to do something and put some energy towards the mantras, you're making energy. You're driving across town. We're sitting in these podcasts. We're reading all this stuff. Right. You're obviously I'm demonstrating willingness. Seven days. I didn't do the seven. There was no, I know. It was, I was just saying make a seven day commitment. Even if it's, if you can do six mantras in seven days, whatever the thing is where you start, I wasn't saying do something every day for seven days. I was just saying, break it up for a week and be like, what's possible for me for a week? What's possible for me to do for me to say I'll do and then do. Cause my, my experience is once I started getting into mantras, it helped me with the organization, with the employment and all these other things. I was backwards. I was thinking I needed to get everything in order and then do the mantras. I didn't realize that all that came from me doing the mantras put my brain into order. So then everything was easy to do. The mantras gave me the mental structure. It tamed my chaotic brain and it made me be able to gain insight and wisdom and start to structure my life differently. Until then, it was like a, a feral cat or like a horse that hadn't been broken in yet. But the mantras allowed that Which to happen. Which is in its true spiritual nature. Well, that's not an animal nature. That's its we, When we were walking, when we were walking, I mean, my opinion is when we're walking with our creator, we're not in our animal nature. When we don't have any conscious contact with our creator and our spiritual essence, then we're completely in the animal thing. But I, don't I just think it's, your, it's an interesting example because I do think animals, just like you discussed children in what we read, they are in their spiritual vibration. 
and being domesticated takes us away from our spiritual uh, vibration for animals and humans alike. Okay. Well, I mean, but in a moment when something's happening and we need to survive, when all of a sudden the lion's chasing the gazelle or my house is on fire and I need to get my kid out of it, those are the moments when we are in the animal thing. But the rest of the time, we're, we're supposed to be bonding and connecting. Whether we're a cat or a lion or a human, we're supposed – that's why we're given the capacity to secrete uh, – what's the thing called? Um, oxytocin. oxytocin. Yeah. And the reason why – you know, as soon as all the, the herds together and they're all feeling the oxytocin, as soon as the lion shows up, boom, the oxytocin's done. Adrenaline and cortisol turn on and the oxytocin shuts down. And that's how they all know to go. They're only that way. Well, maybe not only, but that's also based on are they hunting for food? Because I've seen the, the lion. When they're full, them. you mean? Yeah, when they're not hungry. Right, right. Yeah, everyone's in harmony, but hunger, yeah. But anyhow, which is beautiful because the lion just needs to eat one gazelle. It doesn't need to stockpile a hundred like we do, like a hundred hits or just a hundred hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, uh, we got mantras for recovery groups every Tuesday at two, and then again at Thursday at ten thirty um, here at Pathfinders, which is three 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 six seven Glendale Boulevard nine zero zero three nine. If you have any questions, hit us up at addressingthecause at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Until next time, thank you, Moonshine.